We can do whatever we need to do as long as we meet certain criteria. The first is that our intention, the reason for why we do everything in life, should be because we want to love the Lord and love our neighbor. This must always be at the very heart of everything we do. In conjunction with that, we must do as God tells us to do. He must be directing our path. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. Today we'll be seeing that there can be exceptions due to circumstances. Not everything is black and white in this world. There will be certain instances where things may get a little gray, if you will, and that happens because we are limited in nature and because we are still sinners, even if we may have been forgiven by the Lord. And so, we desperately need to be guided, but by someone completely trustworthy that exceeds our limitations and imperfections. A person that truly wants to do God's will at every circumstance must be guided by both the Holy Spirit and the Word of God together. Today's message is inspired on 1 Samuel chapter 21. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, blessed be your name. Hallowed and glorified, may you be always forever and ever, O Lord God. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Heavenly Father, I praise you for your goodness for your love for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you may always please forgive our sins, that you may please have mercy on us, O Lord, because we need you. Heavenly Father, help us to understand what your will is at every point in time, whether we understand things clearly and especially when things are not clear. Help us, O Lord, to know what to do and when. Help us to be guided by your Holy Spirit and by your word. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise forever and ever. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Today's key passage is in 1 Samuel chapter 21. This is the word of the Lord. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. 
If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his ten thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? There may be times in our lives when we may not be able to do things textbook, if you will, meaning that we may need to take exceptions due to the circumstances we might find ourselves in. We just read that David did certain things that some might say that were wrong or out of place. And from a certain point of view, they would not be entirely wrong. For instance, we first read that David was not completely forthcoming with Ahimelech the priest by telling him that the reason he was there was because he was tending to King Saul's business. He was also hungry, both him and the men that were with him, and he requested to eat of the showbread, which was consecrated to the Lord. We also saw that he had defected to the king of Gath, Achish, an enemy of Israel. And finally, while in Gath, he had pretended to be in mad so that they wouldn't kill him. And so David was not truthful, ate things that were not permissible for him to eat, went to be with the enemy and deceived the people of Achish. Doesn't look too good. The first thing we must look at is at why he did these things. If we read the previous passages, we would come to know that David was being persecuted unjustly by King Saul. David had done nothing wrong to Saul. On the contrary, he had been faithful to both the Lord and Saul. But Saul persecuted David because Saul was in rebellion against God and because David had ultimately found great favor before the Lord to the point that the kingdom would be taken from Saul due to his constant sinning and unfaithfulness to the Lord and that it would be passed on to David. And so David was fleeing for his life for very unfair reasons. Now, Was God with David despite David not doing things seemingly correct? Yes. Why? The one reality that we need to come to grips with is that we will all sin until the day we die, even those of us that have surrendered our lives to the Lord. But there is a great difference between those that sin because it is still in our carnal nature versus those that practice sin without any kind of remorse or regret. And here is also where we see the practical side of things, if you will. The Holy Spirit will guide us to change, to be transformed, but always according to things that are of higher priority, if you will, in consideration of our present condition, because it is impossible for us to get it all right here and now. Does that mean that there are differences in sins? All sin is injustice and wrong before the sight of God, but there are differences. The Apostle John says this in 1 John chapter 5, where it says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, 
and there is sin not leading to death. And so there are differences. There are things that are worse before the eyes of God than others. David was not a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination. And under the circumstances he saw himself, we saw that he committed certain things that were not 100% correct. Yet, God was still with him. Why? David was still in order despite these imperfections because he was still fulfilling the priority of things, if you will. Even though there were imperfections, his intentions was not to rebel against the Lord. Actually, quite the contrary. David loved the Lord and was faithful to him even at these moments. And if we recall the foundation of the law, which is what should be in our lives also, according to the Lord God himself, he said, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so was David failing God directly, even though he was not doing things perfectly? No. The intention of loving God was still true in his heart. And we can see that because there was no deviation in David's heart towards false gods and idols. David's heart was unblemished in regards to this. David never committed idolatry in his life, even in the worst moments of it. And so he still remained very much in compliance with what God outlines. Now, how do we know conclusively that David was still okay before the Lord? Because the Lord himself justified what he did later on. We read this, for instance, in Matthew chapter 12, where it says, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that in the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the Lord himself said that David was justified in what he did. And if the Lord said he was justified, then who can say otherwise? We also see in this passage that the Lord gives side to doing things that are necessary or of higher priority, even though other things may be left to the side. He justifies his disciples for working on the Sabbath because they were hungry. And he also mentioned that the priest had worked on the Sabbath, but on things that were unavoidable also, and therefore were held blameless. And quite plainly, the Lord himself establishes that mercy is higher than providing sacrifices before him. And of course, he said that he can allow for things to happen because ultimately he was and is the Lord of the Sabbath. God is God and he can allow or disallow whatever he wants. He can justify people for doing things by the book, if you will, or even for doing things that may not seem so textbook, if you will. The Lord is God and he can choose to justify however he wills, which brings us to our next point. We can do whatever we need to do as long as we meet certain criteria. 
The first is that our intention, the reason for why we do everything in life, should be because we want to love the Lord and love our neighbor. This must always be at the very heart of everything we do. In conjunction with that, we must do as God tells us to do. He must be directing our path. We must be taking orders from Him as the Lord of our lives. God will justify us if we are under obedience. So this thing of picking and choosing what to do or not do is not subject to our discretion, but rather to the Lord's discretion. For instance, we can provide one clear example of being directed to do things differently to the rule, if you will. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6 to 10, we read the following. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You would think that we should be preaching the word of God everywhere we go, but there may be certain exceptions. There may be moments when the Holy Spirit says to speak and other times to keep quiet, just like we read. Now, Paul wasn't doing his will. He was being guided by the Holy Spirit, and so he was fully justified because he was doing as he was told. So we can conclude that we need to seek our instruction from the word of God but through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do one without the other. It must happen together. The Holy Spirit is essential to our daily life so that he can tell us what to do and when and how is it that the word of God will apply. The Lord had said this about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, where it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And he also said this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but rather whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Now, what is that which is of the Lord? What will the Holy Spirit take of that belongs to Christ? The Word. Lord Jesus Christ is the Word. At the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so we can come to understand that the word of God is the person of Jesus Christ as well as the instruction of God. He is both. And the Holy Spirit will guide, instruct, and reveal accordingly. The Holy Spirit will never go against the word of God. There is perfect unity and correlation between both. Now the Holy Spirit comes into our lives when we repent and convert from all of our sins and surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's when the Holy Spirit comes to be inside of us. And the Word of God teaches us that we should not quench the Spirit once He comes to live in our lives. It says it literally, do not quench the Spirit. So we have to think, 
what quenches the Holy Spirit. The word quench is used in reference to pouring water on fire. And if you pour enough water on a fire, you can't extinguish it. So we must be very careful with this. So again, what quenches the Holy Spirit? Sin. More exactly, the practice of sin. This is why we cannot lead a lifestyle of sin because it interferes with our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And of course, how can a person practice sin if they have supposedly made a decision to repent and convert from all sin to come and follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Yet this unfortunately can happen and does happen all the time. And let's see what the consequences are involved with the practice of sin or living a lifestyle that is sinful. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Who are the ones that inherit? Children generally inherit from their parents. And of course, the epistle is written to believers, to followers of Jesus Christ. So the warning is to believers, to children of God, to people that have supposedly decided to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if a person dedicates themselves to the practice of sin, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we can conclude from this also that the Spirit will never guide you to a lifestyle of sin. All things that he guides you to do will coincide with the word of God in one way or another. But he will never guide us to sin against God and least of all to the practice of sin. In Galatians chapter 5, it also says we are encouraged to walk in the spirit because free will is always in effect, even when we have surrendered our lives to the Lord. We don't become robots. We are to be willful followers of Jesus Christ because we have come to the understanding of who he is and what is necessary for us to follow. For it is written, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. Our walk, our daily activities, our decisions, the basis for everything we do in this life should be according to the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. That's how we will overcome the sin that still remains in our lives and how we will practically come to know how to fulfill God's will and, of course, do it. Whether we are operating under normal circumstances or under moments of exception where we may need to do things a bit different to how we may understand them, but all subject to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and to the instruction of the Word of God. We need to allow ourselves to be guided always by the Holy Spirit of God because he will guide us to all truth, which constitutes doing the will of God, which is vital for us to do. For it is written, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. We need to do the will of God with our lives. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ showed us through his life and walk while here on the earth. And that is what we must do also if we want to inherit and or be allowed to enter into the everlasting kingdom of God. This is something we also need to bear in mind always and why we might say exceptions, but for God, all of his paths are straight. 
It's our understanding that needs to change. For it is also written in Isaiah chapter 55, it says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We ultimately need to adjust our lives to him because he is God, whether we understand things or not, no matter how they seem to us. That is the bottom line. No matter how much knowledge and understanding we may have of the word of God, we can never allow ourselves to be guided by what we think, but rather we must always allow ourselves to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And so we can never allow anything to interfere with the Holy Spirit. That is why we need to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to continue working in our lives regarding sin. We are not perfect, and we may not be perfect while here on earth, but that doesn't mean that we become complacent with sin and least of all, start excusing it. We must continue changing, being transformed, being made into the likeness of Jesus Christ who should be our literal Lord, as well as our model to follow. When we do that, then we will know exactly what we should be doing overall and at exact moments, especially when we need to make certain exceptions. The Lord even taught us that we don't need to even worry about what we may need to say in certain instances because the Holy Spirit will guide us to what we need to say, as it is written. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, what do we need to do so that this in fact can happen? Like we saw before, we cannot allow for sin to reign in our lives. We can never allow sin to be our guide. And together with that, we should always be exposing ourselves to the Word of God, reading it, listening to it, studying it, seeing how it can apply to our lives. For it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we engross ourselves in the word of God, that is when our faith will also increase and become stronger. For it also says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In the end, it is of extreme importance to do what is right before the Lord because he will judge us by our actions. It's a critical error when people think that God doesn't care about our works and that he will not take into consideration. For it is written, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. And for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. In conclusion, we can close with this thought. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy God, I praise you, O Lord, because you desire to guide us, O Lord. 
because you desire to show us your will, your way. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have such good intentions with us. You do not want to bring confusion into our lives, but rather you want us to be able to see things clearly and to understand what we need to do at any given point. Heavenly Father, help us to seek out your direction through your Holy Spirit, through your word. Help us, O oh Lord, to always look to be obedient. Help us, O oh God, to look to do your will in all things, in every circumstance. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that you made us, created us, and saved us through your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we can fulfill your purpose, your will, your desire. Thank you, Heavenly Father, because we can trust in you and because we know that we can rely on you and on your help in everything that we need to do. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise forever and ever. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.